Good evening. Welcome back to Vigilance for the End Times. This is episode number 23, Receiving the Fullness of the Holy Spirit, part two, Clarifying the Ways and Methods of the Holy Spirit. I, um, I've been praying a lot over this particular podcast because one of the things that I am just totally overwhelmed with is the sense that the body of Christ needs like never before a strong foundational understanding of the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Godhead and his relationship as God intended it to be and I feel like we have a lot of, of ground to cover as the body of Christ as a whole. And I apologize for sounding pessimistic uh, because for the most part, I'm not sure that we're going to make a lot of headway before things just completely go berserk. I would like to be more optimistic than that, but the state of the Western church does not give me a lot of room for optimism. Now, in our last episode, a large part of my focus was on receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what that means, and how to receive his fullness in the simplest manner laid out in Scripture. Now, given the obviously darkening spiritual winds swirling over humanity right now, I will most definitely make this subject a primary focus. Out of my sheer desire to see my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ edified and built up spiritually to the fullest extent possible. Reference Jude one twenty. Being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might is not just a nice promise verse, nor is it simply a spiritual option. Folks, it is a matter of survival and it is a matter of overcoming in these end times. Um, I believe that in episode 22, I was able to show clearly and simply from the Word of God that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the Father's divine will for each and every believer. At the end of the last episode, I also felt led of the Lord to pray for those and with those who earnestly desire to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I want to encourage you, please reach out to me personally if you need any further prayer or spiritual counsel. As your brother in the Lord, I would be honored to do so. Now, in building upon the foundation of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I want to walk you through the counsel of the Word of God as it pertains to the specific ways in which the Holy Spirit manifests His fullness in us and through us, and most importantly of all, how this subject is so vitally important to our spiritual strengthening in this hour. 
I honestly do not believe that there is a more critical focal point. To underscore that, let's look at Jude one twenty, where Jude gives some very straightforward spiritual counsel to believers in the context of an onslaught of antichrist spirits sent to attack and undermine the believers that Jude was ministering to. And that is the main tone of the letter of Jude. Now, Jude states in very stark terms, the satanic threat attached to these agents of deception, false teachers, and his spiritual counsel to the believers was something that I hope you will underline in your Bibles during this broadcast. His spiritual counsel to the believers was to keep themselves built up spiritually by praying in the Spirit and keeping themselves in the love of God. Now, when you see an apostle speaking to believers in a context of spiritual conflict that is that severe and the advice being given is to pray in the Spirit, I think that is when we need to sit straight up and pay very close attention. Because if you'll recall, now we discussed Ephesians 6, 10-18 in the last episode, and the latter part of that passage deals extensively with different kinds of prayer in the context of spiritual warfare once again. So, There we have two apostolic directives for believers to pray in the Spirit as a means of remaining strong and spiritually resilient in the face of severe persecution and opposition. Now, I believe with all my heart that we are heading straight into a maelstrom of times not only similar to those into which Paul and Jude were speaking, but even worse. So, keeping in mind that the armor in Ephesians 6 is spiritual armor, that means we must be walking in the Spirit, functioning in the Spirit, and in close relationship with the Spirit for that armor to be effective at all. With the apostolic directives slash admonitions to pray in the Spirit and mind, and also keeping in mind that Paul spent much time teaching on that particular subject in all of his churches. Let's look at some verses that reflect a consistent, ongoing spiritual focal point for the Apostle Paul when it came to believers being connected to, filled with, and operating in the power of God. We'll go back to Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 20. We touched on that briefly last time. Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him. I ask that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm going to go back through that passage slowly because I want to, from the Greek, and I'm not trying to show off how smart I am, I had to look this stuff up. This wasn't already in my head. But I want to go back through the this passage and give you the Greek words for some of these things that Paul stated because I want you to really get the oomph and the power and the gist of what he was actually saying. We read these sections, we read these passages in the King James all the time, and we just kind of read right over them. We never really absorb all of the spiritual nutrients from passages like this that are so weighty with spiritual meaning. And so I want us to like just take a, a very slow Sunday stroll if you will, through this passage, okay? So, going back to the first part, Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, that word revelation is exactly what we get for the book of Revelation, which is the word we also get apocalypse from. It means an unveiling, an uncovering, a revealing. So he is asking the Lord to give the Ephesian believers the spirit of wisdom and revelation to unveil and reveal and uncover a more deeper knowledge of him. That is something that you cannot access apart from the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, there will be and cannot be any unveiling, revealing, or uncovering of the nature of God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ apart from the operation of the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I'm making that point to drive home the fact that we so desperately need to be hungry and thirsty for the Holy Spirit. We need to hear Jesus crying out to us like he did in the Gospels when he stood up at the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. If Jesus were to be standing here today, crying aloud, saying the same thing, I think it'd be much like it is right now. A couple of people here and there coming up to him saying, yes, Lord, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. I want a drink of the Holy Spirit. Because honestly, most people these days seem to be pretty content with right where they're at. That tells me, number one, they don't clearly discern the time we're living in and the saddest thing is they don't discern the riches and the blessing that they are 
far too casual about dismissing. So, Paul continues in praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He also says, I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul's prayers for the for the believers to receive supernatural revelation from the operation of the Holy Spirit. He says, so that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power. All of that is revealed by means of the operation of the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Where he says, in the surpassing greatness of his power, that comes from the word dynamos, which means miraculous power. And most believers are not living like there's very much miraculous power available to them because the eyes of their heart have not been enlightened. But Paul says this dynamic power, this miraculous power that God has towards us who believe is the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, according to the working of his mighty strength, the word strength there comes from a Greek word that is pronounced kratos, meaning dominion. So what Paul is saying is, I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you a revelation of the dominion, power, and strength of God the same power that he raised Jesus from the dead with and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This again is a passage that is full of spiritual meaning and it is meant to awaken believers in the spirit to the fact that you are part of a heavenly kingdom that has dominion over the entire earth, dominion in the heavenlies, and the power of that dominion is available to you, the believer, and you have all of this available to you through the Holy Spirit. Now, to make it a little bit more real, Paul is counseling Timothy, who is a young under-apostle, he is going through a very hard time because he is young, he's inexperienced, and there's a ton of pressure on him. He was basically overseeing the church during the reign of Nero, who was using Christians as human candles to light up the streets with. Um, he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the word there, the phrase there, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the Greek means to be, to be filled with power. And it uses the same Greek words that basically say the Holy Spirit within you is meant to be your dynamo that you receive your power from. Paul uses the same phrase in Philippians 3.21. He says, Who by the power that enables him, Jesus, to subject all things to himself, will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body 
by the same power. There is that word power again. We we read the word power in the English and we never grasp the the kingdom dynamics in it, if you will. The power that is derived from an eternal kingdom, God's kingdom, without beginning, without end, that power belongs to us as believers. Paul says in Ephesians 3, verses 7 and 20, he says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Paul was made an apostle on the authority of the power of God's eternal kingdom. He stood here on earth as an apostle and was beaten and flogged and thrown in prison and even had false apostles accusing him of not being an apostle at all when he had been selected personally by Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, not a higher power in the universe. So he, he, he was operating according to an authority that most people could not even comprehend. So now right here, I want to pause and remind my listeners for just a moment of something that we talked about in episode 21, two episodes ago, uh, temples of the Holy Spirit and addressing spiritual warfare. Now, remember, we were discussing Ephesians 6, pertaining to the armor, and Colossians 1.11, and all of the words used in those passages that, when taken together, denote dominion, kingdom, power. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 1, with Paul praying for all of us as believers, and he is using language that clearly denotes, once again, that we are part of a kingdom of heavenly dominion, power, and authority. Kingdom power and authority that derive from the God of heaven himself. A power and authority that you do not observe in the TV preachers who get up and ramble on while their audience sits staring glassy-eyed. The kingdom authority we are talking about is the same kingdom authority exercised in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom And he said that at the end of this age, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations, and then the end shall come. So from beginning to end, there is only one gospel that the kingdom of heaven authorizes and recognizes, and that is the gospel of the kingdom. When God looks upon this earth, he does not see denominations He does not see church buildings. He does not see men behind pulpits. He sees either men and women walking in and operating in the gospel of the kingdom, or he sees dead religion. But it's one or the other. He did not mandate both. So what we discussed in the last episode was receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This episode, we will be discussing how to access the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Obviously, this is precluded upon believers having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've had some conversations lately with some wonderful believers that um, are leading me to um, 
focus on getting more in-depth with that in another upcoming episode in terms of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit to clear up a little bit more religious obstacles. And once again, let me point out for those who might be listening for the first time, this is not a doctrinal issue or a denominational issue. This is a kingdom of God issue and nothing else. When Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, came upon them and endowed them with power from on high, there was no deacon board meeting to approve this. There was no denominational conference to held to discuss whether or not this fit in with their beliefs. This was 120 disciples obeying the word of the king. If we can't make that distinction and get this straight, we might as well just stay home, put your Bible on the shelf because it won't do us any good unless we are committed, fully committed to obeying one voice, the voice of the king, and walking in submission to his authority and operating in his delegated authority. Look, we have the verse in in, uh, 2 Peter where it says, We look for a new heavens and earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And the Old Testament prophets all prophesied of Jesus returning and setting up his millennial kingdom. We will not be conferring with deacon boards then. So what in God's name are we waiting for? We don't need any other man's permission to say, yes, Lord Jesus, yes, King Jesus, I'll obey that. And it's time the church of Jesus Christ shook off this slumber and this stupor and woke up and realized this king of kings is alive at the right hand of the father. He is alive. He is real. He is coming back. We always say he is. We need to start acting and behaving like this king is coming back. And he has absolute authority now as much as he will when he comes back. We need to really start taking that authority to heart. It's not going to get any more when he comes back. He will not have more authority when he returns than he has right now this very moment. We have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We're already in that kingdom where that authority of that king is. So... Do not feel like you have to ask a pastor or a deacon board permission to obey Jesus. You have a Bible in your hands or in your lap. It's full of the words of that heavenly kingdom. We need, my God in heaven, we need to act like it's true. We need to act like it is real. We we desperately need... Western believers to begin allowing God to recalibrate their thinking and reframe their worldview to that of the kingdom, not the church denomination world, because those two are completely opposite. And I will guarantee you, you will never ever successfully live out the Christian life according to the New Testament as long as you are thinking with a church brain. It is not going to happen. I've been a Christian for 43 years, and I can make that statement based on everything I have observed in 43 years. 
the Holy Spirit is not the least bit interested in a denominational mindset. He could care less. It is completely counter to who he is. He's God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He's not a spiritual accessory. He's not uh, someone that the Father and Son sent to check in on us to see if uh, he can help us with anything, like he's some sort of a spiritual butler or waiter. He is God Almighty. So please, if you cannot think of the Holy Spirit in terms of him being God Almighty, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, Maybe switch to a different belief system or a different religion, but the Holy Spirit is God. Period. Jesus said, when I go, I will ask the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit in my name and he will be with you. To the end of the age, he will be with you and he will be in you. Read 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together, governing and empowering the church. You cannot have just the Father and Son empowering the church. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. He is part of the Godhead. And Yes, it's tragic that the Western professing church has found a way to convince themselves that they could divorce him from the church visible, but I guarantee you, he's not sitting there just taking this quietly. So pardon my, my being riled up, but this is an issue and has been an issue for the past 25, 30 years or more. We have allowed denominations to tell us what to do. We have allowed the position of pastor to become the preeminent spiritual ministry in the West when the Holy Spirit is the only one on this earth who should have the preeminence. He was sent by Jesus and the Father to lead, guide, and direct the church. If the apostles themselves wouldn't make a move without the Holy Spirit's okay. Paul said, we ventured in this direction to go preach the gospel, and he said, the Holy Spirit forbade us. The Holy Spirit told the apostles, no, I don't want you going over there to preach. I want you going over here. Um, Are we greater than the apostles? We can decide what we want to do apart from the Holy Spirit? So... That is my big rant for tonight. Um, That was not what I had in mind when I started the podcast tonight, but it has been eating at me for the last couple of days, and I've been observing different things happening within the church that wouldn't be the case if we were giving the Holy Spirit His proper place. So... I mean, when all hell starts breaking loose here in the end times, no one's going to die for a denomination. No one's going to lay down their life for a pastor in his pulpit. You're going to have to have a vision of the kingdom of God coming to this earth, living and breathing inside of you, and that is all that's going to enable you to be an overcomer. Even an overcomer who's willing to be martyred. So now that we have looked at some passages that clearly show the New Testament church 
was one that was baptized in and functioning in the power of the kingdom of God and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that dwelt within them in reality, not denominational theory, we have to take a good hard look at how believers accessed this power that was given to them freely. Now, we've already covered a couple of passages that deal with this, but you might not have made the connection, so here we go. Now, I think we all understand that it's not enough just to live in a house that has electricity. You have to be able to access that electrical power for it to be of any benefit to you. For you to have light, for example, there's got to be a light switch. For you to operate a piece of machinery to get a job done, you must have access to be able to harness the power for that machine, such as pushing a button or flipping a switch. For the purposes of accessing spiritual power, the switch that we have to flip by an act of our will is the tongue. Now, I find it quite amazing that the one part of us God himself says he has the most trouble with, the part of us that does the most damage here on earth, is our tongue. Not coincidentally at all. That is the very part of us that he has sovereignly chosen to claim ownership of by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues, giving him praise and worship with that tongue, signifying that Now, the Holy Spirit is Lord over that part of us, and it is now serving as an instrument of praise and worship, making us officially the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because after all, what constitutes a temple but as a place of worship? In James chapter 3 verse 8, James says, No human being can tame the tongue. But when you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and he takes up residence in your spirit, you yield your tongue to him by speaking in other tongues, by praising and worshiping the Lord in your spiritual language. And then your submission to God, spirit, soul, and body is now complete. Naturally, you have to walk this out on a daily basis. But the fact remains that at this point, spirit, soul, and body, you are now yielded to him. Now, I hope at this point I've done an adequate job of showing you from the Word of God, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that the only power we as believers have available to walk in is the power of God. In and of ourselves, we have no adequate means of living the Christian life. Or as Paul said at best, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That and that alone is the Christian life. Now, all of the passages we have referred to in the New Testament make it abundantly clear that God himself has supplied his power derived from his nature as our means by which we live as new creations in Christ Jesus. Nothing of benefit is derived from our earthly nature, nothing whatsoever, and I hope we're clear on that. 
Now, what I've been striving to show you and will continue to do so until I'm confident that the Lord has helped me make it abundantly clear and easy for everyone to grasp, as I know there's a good many of us still having our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit in this area, is that the, is that the God-ordained manner in which we access all of His divine power and His nature imparted to us spiritually is by exercising ourselves in the area of praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. If there was any other way for believers to have been building themselves up, for example, in the face of persecution, etc., Jude would have, as an apostle, pointed that out to them. But he did not. The thing he pointed out to them and admonished them and exhorted them to do was praying in the Holy Spirit building yourselves up on your most holy faith. If there was another way for those believers to build themselves up on their most holy faith, surely the Apostle Jude would have mentioned that. The only method available to building ourselves up spiritually in our faith, which is also spiritual, it's not of the mind, is by praying in the Spirit. We've been born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, whatever is, flesh is born of the, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Your mind cannot build you up spiritually. Your emotions cannot build you up spiritually. Your body cannot build you up spiritually. Your spirit is the real you. Your spirit man, Paul talks about being renewed day by day in the inner man. That's what he's referring to. Your inner man is the repository of all the power the Holy Spirit supplies. Accessing that power, it's like nobody has a problem with using a hand pump to get water to come up out of the well. Or in the old days, they had these uh, hand crank generators and hand cranked radios. Well, you had to use your hand to crank it. Your tongue is the, is the physical crank to bring up that living water that Jesus talked about. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow. Out of your belly shall flow. What makes it flow? You have to prime that pump. Now, some people are grasping this. Some people, it's going to take longer. That's fine. I'm not going anywhere. But this is a subject that is not being taught on is not being preached on, but it's falling in my lap, and it is my passion, it is my supreme conviction that believers, if they don't start getting taught now how to tap into God's power derived from the Holy Spirit, I don't know how they're going to stand in the spiritual onslaught that is coming. And I know that most of you know what I'm talking about. Um, you are not going to be able to fight the spiritual battles that are coming in the flesh, in your emotions, and in your mind. If you are not strong and mighty in the spirit, it's it's going to be it's going to be horrific. So, again. Um, the first thing we begin with, as has been stated already, is the apostolic foundational teaching to the believers. From all of the passages mentioned tonight, and there are dozens more, it is crystal clear. 
that the apostles intended for believers to live from the life drawn from God himself through the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead imparts the life and nature of God to us. That is simply a matter of New Testament spiritual fact. It's all throughout the New Testament, everything Paul wrote, everything that Jesus said. Praying in the Spirit is God's ordained method of us appropriating that spiritual power and spiritual life. Again, go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Paul talks about praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. (laughs) It's something that we are not accustomed to because here in the West, we live from our mind. We live from our thought realm. The New Testament church did not live from their thought realm. The thought realm exists for you to renew it. Your, your mind has to be renewed with the Word of God. But that could take years. So the fact that our minds might have a problem with it is just an indication of how at home in the flesh we've been and how alien life in the Spirit has been to us. We just don't understand how large that gap has been. I am here to help enlighten everyone as to how big that gap has been. My throat is getting sore and hoarse because I am straining to express spiritual truths from the New Testament that have been there forever, but nobody focuses on them. You you cannot turn on a Christian channel seven days a week. You can't. You can turn every Christian channel on. I don't think you're going to hear one message on this because they have to teach what is popular, what is easy on the ears, not hard on the ears. They have to teach things that keep people coming back and tuning in. So they're not going to make a, they're not going to touch something that's heavy duty. They don't want to turn people off because then they've lost viewers. So God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And nowhere is this more evident than in the professing Western church. He has made all of himself available to us through the Holy Spirit, but we have complicated the crap out of it, excuse me, but we have, to the point where how many people are actually availing themselves of the spiritual life and nature of God on a daily basis? We have pastors committing suicide all over the place from stress. We have Christian marriages and ministries imploding. Children of people in ministry running amok, self-harming, suicide, drugs, the whole nine yards, while we profess to be the church of the living God. But apart from the Spirit, we have no life. And it's time to face the facts and admit to ourselves that we have not been availing ourselves of the life and power and ministry of the Holy Spirit to the degree that He's available or we would not be suffering these things. We would not have Christian adults in bondage to things, tormented by demons and spirits they can't get free from because we have denominations built on denying the power of the Holy Spirit. Denominations and widely acclaimed and beloved Bible teachers who say the things of the Holy Spirit are not for today. And we wonder why the Western church is such a disaster area. It is time we go back to the rock we were hewn from and abandon the cisterns that we've made for ourselves and drink from his well of living water. I don't see any other options. 
and we are running out of time to get it straight. Okay, beloved, I have some ground still to cover before I run out of time. My uh, my podcast clock runs out at 60 minutes, and I've only got about 20 left, so I'm going to try to hurry. Um, I want to list some benefits from Scripture of praying in tongues, and I will do my very best as time allows to give you Scripture references for each as well as personal examples from my own life, but again, as time allows. So, starting with Jude one twenty and 1 Corinthians 14.4, praying in tongues is a way to strengthen and edify oneself spiritually. Again, 1 Corinthians 14.4 and Jude one twenty, Praying in tongues to commune with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14.2, Ephesians 5.19. Again, 1 Corinthians 14.2, Ephesians 5.19. Praying in tongues as a means of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, guys, 7 and 18. Ephesians 6, 7 and 18. 17 and 18, I'm sorry. Praying in tongues to receive specific guidance and wisdom from the Holy Spirit through interpreting those tongues. Now, Paul said for the one praying in tongues to pray that he might interpret, and even though he was making that statement in the context, the context of public ministry and assembly with other believers, it is still a sound, valid scriptural principle, one that I have tested, and it does work all the time. First Corinthians twelve verse fourteen, I think. Um yeah, first Corinthians twelve fourteen. Another way in which praying in tongues is used by the Holy Spirit to edify and minister to the one praying, as well as to minister to those being prayed for, is that praying in tongues many, many times gives way to the Holy Spirit manifesting a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of comfort, a word of exhortation. A specific Holy Spirit anointed and inspired word of comfort, for example, relieves the recipient individual of depression, confusion, despair, and brings a spiritual sense of peace, clarity, direction, encouragement, and comfort. And again, if I have time, I will share some examples from my own personal experience. I can truly testify that praying in tongues, when it gives way to an interpretation by the Holy Spirit that releases words of encouragement or prophetic understanding and wisdom is powerfully strengthening when going through dark, heavy spiritual battles. And I know you guys all know what I've been going through the last uh, year and something with my wife passing away and even before she passed when she was horrifically sick. Uh, in Daniel ten twelve, we see an example of how words from the spirit realm where God is actually provides supernatural strength. Now, in the case of Daniel ten twelve, it was the uh, an angel speaking to Daniel, but the effect of the angel speaking to Daniel was a complete reviving of his physical body. How much greater is the spiritual benefit from praying in tongues when the source is the Holy Spirit himself? Now, I have um, a few personal testimonies to share with you along that line. Um, not sure how much time I'm going to have, but um, again, as most of you are aware, 
my wife Rupal went home to be with the Lord in November 2020. And since that time, one of my biggest battles has been physical and emotional and mental fatigue because of the grief. Um, probably about two or three months ago, I was, uh, I was finding myself very weak. Um, I mean, it was almost scary how much physical weakness I had. One night I went to bed early. I was just feeling like the life was being drained out of my body. And I went to bed and I laid there in bed with my hands on my chest, praying over myself in the spirit. I had just simply felt like that was something I needed to do. I didn't feel anything immediate. I just I laid there just asking the Holy Spirit to minister me to me, praying in tongues. The next day, um, Asha and I went out to run some errands. And uh, I noticed that I felt a little bit stronger when I went down the steps to our driveway. And as the day progressed and we were going all over town running errands, um, I would be like getting out of the car and running to the store to go inside, grab what we needed, run back to the, and I'm like, holy cow, I feel like I've, I'm hopped up on Red Bull. Um, I don't take vitamins. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was from praying in tongues last night. I just, I knew in my spirit, it was a direct result of praying over myself in tongues the night before. So for me, this is not a subject that is based in conjecture. It is something I've lived up for a very long time. And I'm still learning if I had another thousand years to go, I'd probably be getting surprised every day. Um, and now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit's desire to minister to us on a daily basis, I mean, Jesus said, everything that I've been to you when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to be that. He's going to be your comforter, your counselor. You're not going to be left as orphans. He's going to come to you. He is the spirit of adoption that bears witness with your spirit. You're the children of God. And in uh, so many places, even if you look at uh, Isaiah 61, I think it is, where um, Jesus read that passage in the synagogue. So said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, that same spirit is upon us and in us. And we would be so foolish to not take advantage of everything the Holy Spirit wants to impart to us on a day-to-day basis. Um, I find it very interesting that the Apostle Paul gave strict apostolic admonition for believers to not despise prophesying and to not forbid speaking in tongues. Why? Because he just felt like making that as a declaration? No. It's because one of the principal means that the Holy Spirit uses to minister to the body and edify the body and build the body up is speaking in tongues and prophesying. Again, 1 Corinthians 14. I would advise people that have any areas of, of misunderstanding or where you're just not really clear on the Holy Spirit's relationship to us, what He wants to do through us, I would say spend a few days reading 1 Corinthians 14. And ask God to give you wisdom and revelation and understanding. Um, Remember, Jesus said God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit 
is spirit. So many people think, oh, I wish I could have been alive in the uh, disciples' time and I could have walked with Jesus. Well, you've got the Holy Spirit available to you, and if you haven't received him, as Jesus said, ask your heavenly Father and he will give you the Holy Spirit. If you haven't done that, then do that. That's Jesus talking. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He said the Father is sending you the promise of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> this is God saying, I'm making myself completely available to you 24 hours a day in the form of my Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. I will be available to you 24 hours a day. So if you're awake, awake 24 hours a day, I'm right there for you to counsel you, to strengthen you, to empower you. Whatever you need done by God, I'm here to do that, he says. But we're so used to living in a physical world, having physical contact with everything, and living physically minded that to have a relationship with someone we don't see, don't hear with the, the, your ear, you don't see with the naked eye, you can't touch him, but he's more real than anything you could touch. We as Westerners are so rationally minded, so rationally based that we do not have, we don't know how to have the faith of a little child. Jesus said, unless you become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is spirit before it's anything else. If it was better for Jesus to have been with us, he would have stayed. He said, it's better for you that I go, because if I go, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. Meaning, sending the Holy Spirit is better than me being with you. I don't think a lot of us really believe that. We don't argue with God about it, but we don't really necessarily believe that. Because like, oh, the Holy Spirit is kind of spooky. <laughs> the Father and Son seem to think he's completely and totally necessary to our life as a believer. What other means, I mean, what other means does God Almighty have at his disposal to take the things of Jesus, the things of God, the heavenly wisdom and understanding and knowledge and power and might and revelation and ability, what other means would God have at his disposal to impart those things to us in time-specific situations that are not covered by a simple chapter and verse, areas where we need guidance, wisdom, counsel, and comfort right now that are pinpoint accurate and pinpoint specific to our need at the moment, what other means does he have at his disposal? What would be most ideal? God living in us by his Holy Spirit. Ah, ta-da, he thought of that already. So all we have to do is we got to deal with this thing between our ears called the brain that argues with spiritual things. Now, we don't argue that Jesus is Lord of all. We don't argue that Jesus is the only way to the Father. But somehow we argue with Jesus internally when he said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Well, why aren't we letting him teach us all things? Why are we so leery of the third person of the Godhead. We got to wrestle with these questions and we've got to come to the place where we receive God's answers. 
Jesus said he will guide you into all truth. John the Apostle in the book of 1 John, he said the anointing, the anointing that you have received teaches you all things. Here is where we see that the Holy Spirit is not handcuffed or straightjacketed at all. He is the all-wise, all-knowing, omnipotent third person of the Godhead with no restrictions on his ability whatsoever except our lack of understanding or our unbelief. And neither of those two things have to be the case. And as long as I, your brother Mark, am alive and breathing, I will not leave any of you ignorant or without understanding. I will persevere in this subject till I drop dead. But it is my heart's desire to see every Christian believer empowered by the Holy Spirit, fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, hearing from the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. If I could walk all over Spruce Grove tomorrow and lay hands on everybody that's a Christian to receive the Holy Spirit, I would be doing that. And I am praying that I am sharing as clearly and plainly from the Word of God as possible that my personal experiences are carrying some weight with you, my listeners, and that any doubt or unbelief you may have will be spiritually removed and annihilated so that you can grow and prosper in the Lord. Now, we are not going to get through all this in time tonight because I've still got about four pages left. So, um, I'm going to give you a spiritual principle. Um, I don't have a name for it, but I'd like you to write it in the flyleaf of your Bible or somewhere where you'll see it all the time. It's based on something that Paul said in 1 Corinthians. I would call this principle spirit first, mind Second, I'm going to say it again. Write it if you can. Write it down. Spirit first, mind second. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians 14, 14, read it as a positive, not as a negative statement. Because most people, I think, they read it and they see it as a negative. It's not a negative. It's a positive. Paul says very plainly, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, For if I pray in tongues... My spirit is praying. I don't understand what I'm saying with my mind, but it's my spirit praying. Paul is simply pointing out a matter of spiritual fact. When you pray in the spirit in an unknown tongue, your mind does not understand what you're saying because it's not supposed to initially. Paul did not say, I'm praying with my mind. He said, I'm praying with my spirit. Praying with your mind and praying with your spirit are two entirely different things. Both are good and necessary and each have their rightful place. The principle I'm pointing out here is spirit first, mind second. Meaning, for you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit fully and give Him the greatest amount of right of way in your daily life, you need to understand that you don't need to understand. In other words, you do not need to wait for your mind to understand every little thing about the Holy Spirit for him to do something. Just let him do it. He's God. Would you, if Jesus was here today and he asked you to do something, would you not obey him until you were able to understand why he said it and what was going to come from obeying him? I don't think so. I think you'd probably just run, go do what Jesus said. I hope. 
Now, I'm not saying that it's God's will for your mind to not be involved. To the contrary, why else would Paul say, and pray when you speak in an unknown tongue that you might interpret? Because he wants your mind to be fruitful. He said, when I pray in an unknown tongue, I'm edified. It builds me up spiritually, but my mind is unfruitful. He doesn't want your mind to be unfruitful. He wants you to know what you just prayed in tongues. God wants you to be fruitful spirit, soul, and body. There's no part of you that God leaves out of that equation. But it's all about the order in the equation. Spirit first, soul second, body third. Spirit, soul, and body. God has his order. We need to understand that. Praying in the Spirit after you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is for a time, for most of the time, a decision you make. In other words, you do not wake up every morning, feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pray in tongues all day today. It's a decision you make. You do not wait for a feeling to come over you. Paul said, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. He said, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. It is a matter of choice. It is a matter of you exercising your will. The Holy Spirit does not control you like somebody putting their hand inside a hand puppet. The Holy Spirit is not going to start moving through you in that sense without you first exercising your will and stepping out in faith and obedience. It is the same with any other area of your life. God never forces you to do anything that's in accordance with his word. He gives you the chance to obey his word. Then you choose to act on his word. You choose to step out in faith and then he moves and then he acts. Praying in tongues is one of the primary ways you subject your soul realm and your will to the spirit. Again, spirit first, mind second, which is part of your soul realm. God's will is that we be, Paul said, I pray that that God sanctify you wholly, completely, and entirely spirit, soul, and body. So praying in tongues is one of the primary ways you subject your soul realm and your will to the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit tells your soul realm and your mind right away that you guys are not in charge, my Spirit is in charge. And my Spirit is cooperating with and communicating with the Holy Spirit. I am no longer guided and directed 100% by my own thoughts, by my own mind. I submit myself to the Spirit by praying in the Spirit. It is a supernatural process provided by the Holy Spirit of God in you, a supernatural process meant to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, who said, I do nothing on my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. How did he see what the Father was doing? By revelation from the Holy Spirit, whom he was baptized in, in the River Jordan. And we aren't going to walk this out any other way. We are going to walk this out the same way Jesus did by yielding to and obeying the Holy Spirit. So our time is up. I've only got like one minute left. So I'm going to close with that. Um, All I can say, brethren, is please search these things out in the New Testament. Uh, Look up the scriptures that I gave you. I will be continuing on in the next day or so with this. And um, looks like we're going to go into part three and four. Uh, God bless all of you very, very much. I love you all, and uh, please reach out to me and let me know how this ministered to you. God bless.